If you have a copy of God's Word, I would ask that you would turn to 2 Peter. We're going to finish up uh, the rest of chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 16 through 21. As we heard last week, Peter was on guard to contend for the truth of Jesus Christ. He has confirmed believers' calling and election into the kingdom of God. He has reminded them to practice these qualities which are an outpouring of the true faith in loving, loving obedience to Christ himself. He also, in verses 12 through 15, no less than five times tells his readers, by the use of the word I, he is committed to tell them the truth of their salvation as long as he is in this life. His purpose in the epistle is to establish his readers firmly in the truth of the gospel because that truth was under dangerous attack. Is that not our individual purpose, the truth of the gospel, as we meditate on God's word even here today? Is it not the responsibility of the man that stands behind this podium to do exactly the same? Is it not the desire of this congregation, Crossway Christian Church, as we seek to call a new pastor to lead us, to have him do exactly as Peter has been saying that he is doing for believers? I believe that that is why the search committee has diligently asked for prayer prayer for the people of this congregation, prayer for the committee itself doing its work, and prayer for that man that God would bring to us. We started with over 90 resumes, and going through them, we reduced that number to a little over 20. Those 20, we then sent out a questionnaire, and we asked them if they would give us their views Uh, not only about uh, their faith, the doctrine of their faith, the view of ministry, but also their testimony to help us find that man that God has said to lead this congregation. One of those questions is just this. How does your theology of Scripture affect your theology and practice of preaching? We have four candidates that we're looking at from these questions, and I would like you to give you just a brief excerpt of their answer to that question. It struck me as men that were doing exactly what Peter was doing in this scripture, contending for the faith. We can see that their theology and practice of preaching is based on the scripture. There's no certain order. I just have them one, two, three, four, just so that you know that they are different. The the first one. As a pastor, God called me to herald the word. The message I bring is not my own. It's his message for his people. Candidate number two. The truthfulness of scripture must be affirmed. Yet scripture is not just true, but even better, It is good news for us. 
3. The role of the preacher is not to seek to be clever, creative, or relevant with the, with the text, but be faithfully exegete a passage, giving the sense of the text so that people understand the reading and can apply this message to their lives. And lastly, because the Bible is, ir, is irerrant, thank you, inerrant, I preach it as true and the final authority on all matters. Now as we look at today's passage of Scripture, Peter continues to herald the truth of the glory of Christ in personal witness and prophetic word. This is a declaration of the certain truth and divine origin of the gospel of Christ. If you would, follow along as I read our scripture, starting in chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very vo voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter links himself and his message with the other apostles by changing from I to we. They all preach the same message. And what is that message? First, the power is the coming of Jesus Christ. As we see in verses 16 through 18. Peter's letter must be in response to things that were being, say, were being said wrongly about Jesus. At that time, there were those that were saying that there would be no coming again of Jesus. In fact, they probably really didn't care much about this man the first time he came, let alone that he would have the power to come again. But also, they had the mindset that what we saw, what they saw in that lifetime, at that time, what they did day by day, being born, living life, and dying, was all there was. If those two things are true, Peter's emphasis on pursuing godliness until receiving a holy and eternal reward, the argument collapses. 
why would anybody continue to be willing to lead a life that is pleasing to God if there is no eternal reward? In his appeal for this, his testimony and response is exactly what he saw his eyewitness of the transfiguration. Because Peter knows the way of salvation by Jesus Christ is the counsel of God, the infinitely wise Jehovah invented this way to save sinners by Jesus Christ, and the apostles knew that he must make the gospel known to men. He wrote what we saw and heard. He wrote what he saw and heard, and that was the preaching of the gospel is a making known of the power of Christ. The first part of 16 says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths. Peter is revealing the power of Jesus Christ. And what is that power? What has been told from old in the scriptures till now is he has the power to save men. Any man that calls upon him, the Father himself will acknowledge them and eternal life will be given to them. But also, he knows also that he must tell them that this is God, the only one that has the power to save. This man is also true God. The coming of Christ is also made known in the preaching of Christ. The second half of that same verse says, In the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. His coming has been told of old, and that it happened at the fall of man, Genesis chapter 3. There would be somebody to come and redeem the lost who were in the midst of their sin. But this coming would be a lowly coming. He would come into this earth without any fanfare. Well, I guess if angels sing your glory at night when you're born, that's fanfare. But he started out in a manger, a lowly beginning. But they wouldn't stay that way. It would also be that the minister of the gospel, such as Peter, that he must tell also of the second coming. The first coming would be of a low status, but not the second. He would come in glory. He would come with angels. He would come with those that would sing his praise, and he had a mission that only he could do, and that would be to judge the living and the dead their righteousness or unrighteousness. And it all was, would be about whether they had accepted him as Lord and Savior and the one that could pay the price for their sin. And though the gospel of Christ has been called a myth, when he took on the form of a servant, he did manifest himself to be God. Verse 17. For when we received, when he received honor and glory 
From God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, there were those at that time that were trying to make anything to do with Jesus into a myth. What is a myth? It's a story. It might be a legend. It might be a compiling of other things coming together. I want to give you two quick examples of myths that I've known of and heard my whole life. They're about Bay City. Many of us in this room have spent years living in this city. The first one is, in those days when the lumbering was taking, uh, was center stage in Bay City, there were those saloons that were along the Saginaw River that had a trap door in them with a chute for drunks to be exited through and to fall next to the bank of the river to either sleep it off or to be gathered up, put on a ship, and used as deckhands. I don't have any proof of that, but it's a myth. I don't have to. The other one is that there's an underground pathway underneath the Saginaw River from the east side to the west side. This was supposed to be at the same time. Nobody knows where it is. Nobody really can say whether that actually happened or not. But, you know, there must be a little bit of truth to it. I shouldn't say truth, but there might be evidence to it because in this area, one of the other things that was going on was mining. And it happened in the same period. Would they have not had the technology to maybe go underneath the river? But those are myths. Peter is saying none of this is a myth. They are not stories. They are truth. And he was an eyewitness of them. The transfiguration that he was a witness to establishes the truth of Peter's message in general. He doesn't give a lot of background as to what the transfiguration is, but we know that it was three disciples were chosen to go with Jesus on this holy mountain. And what made it holy is that God was present. And they would witness the glory of God himself in Jesus Christ. And he would meet with others. He would meet with Moses and Elijah, prophets that had heralded a coming Savior And we would see, they would see, the truth of who Jesus truly was. This was his message. And this, because he saw it, proved that. But a particular proof that this also talks about is his coming. His coming again. Because Peter was assured in the transfiguration and later in his time of being with Jesus, and saw him lifted up into heaven. If he can believe what happened at the transfiguration, he can believe when Jesus said, I will return. It is truth. But what he saw there that day and witnessed was truly 
the glory of God in Jesus himself. See, Jesus changed. He took on an appearance other than the man that he was because he never stopped being God. But they got to witness that and see it firsthand. See, Moses, when he asked to see the majesty of God in his glory, God said, you can't do that. No man can take on and see my glory in its fullest. But I'll allow you to just partially see it. And after Moses had seen and came down from the mountain, he radiated the glory of God. That isn't what happened with Jesus. It wasn't a reflection. It was the true glory of him because he was God. Much different. Peter goes on, The voice from heaven called here the majestic glory reflects the great glory upon our Savior. Think of those two words in there, majestic glory. You see how that they're capitalized? This is another name for God the Father himself. Peter being a Jew and knowing that it was, could be even blasphemy saying the name of Jehovah. So many times in the Old Testament, another name was given to God to represent him so that they didn't have to use that, that specific word, his name. This one, the majestic glory, how great it is because it is the majestic glory that is talking to his son, acknowledging him. And what does he do? He is the founder and foundation of all honor and glory. He lives in this glorious place, the heavens above, God the Father, the majestic glory, and he is in the presence with them at that time. But even more than that, the voice was to be heard by Peter, James, and John, and they understood. Verse 18, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. See, God himself opens the eyes and the ears of believers. It is by his power that they were able to see, but it also was by his power that they were able to hear and to understand. They were allowed to hear what Jesus said of his only begotten son, that he was proud and that we should understand and accept him. This is my beloved son. In comparison there again, we think of Peter or Paul when he was on his way to Damascus before his conversion. This is at the time of his conversion. And the people that he was with, if they were going from one town to another to persecute Christians, they must not have been Christians. And what happened at that time was Paul heard those weird words, but the people around him did not understand what was going on. God is the one 
that opens our hearts and our minds for us to understand. What Peter writes are events too important not to be recorded and are of great value as proof of the gospel message. He said this life was to end soon. Peter not only wanted believers to know the foundation of their faith, but also the focus on the truth. The divine, the doctrine of power and coming of the Lord Christ is not a myth, a thought-up story of any man, but the wise and wonderful counsel of the holy, gracious God. Of this, Peter was a witness. The apostle lays down another argument to prove the truth and reality of the gospel. And the second proof is more strong and convincing than the first. And that is, the coming is foretold by the prophets of the Old Testament who spoke and wrote under the influence and according to the direction of the Spirit of God. Our focus now is on verses 19 through 21 of the Scripture. And in them, Peter speaks the truth of Jesus' coming is based on the prophetic word. Here is a description of the scripture of the Old Testament. In the first part of 19, it says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word. What is that description? The prophetic word. The Old Testament is prophetic word. And in this uh, version of the uh, English Standard Version, it says, and we have something more sure. Updated versions put it a little bit differently. But it says the same thing. We can be positive of what the scriptures say. In Genesis 3, like we've already spoken about, Scripture tells us his power was there from the beginning to destroy the work of the devil and of sin. That's just one part of the beginning of the scripture. But it speaks of what Peter has been saying, that he says sinners are saved and called by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ. That is the power that he is talking about. But also, it says, through Scripture, in the Old Testament, God would be incarnate in order to redeem and save the lost. God himself would do that work. It would come through a man that we know as King David, a great king. But he would pale in, in comparison to the one king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that would come through the lineage of David himself, but would also be God. Jesus said, prophecy of scripture was even more powerful than miracles. See, the first thing that Peter was talking about was a miracle that he himself was a witness to. But he said the scriptures and their prophecy is even better evidence. And Jesus himself said that in Luke chapter 16 at the end where he is relaying the story about the rich man and Lazarus. 
the rich man was in Hades, felt the punishment of hell, and wanted his own brothers to not be sent to that place. And he said, please, have a man raised from the dead and speak to them. And what did Jesus say in response? He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Matthew Henry writes in his commentary on 2 Peter, the Old Testament is a history of that whereof, I'm sorry, the New Testament is a history of what, whereof the Old Testament is a prophecy. Read the Old Testament as a prophecy of Christ and with diligence and thankfulness use the new as the best exposition of the old. There is also the encouragement Peter gives us in the scriptures. The second half of verse 19. To which you will be well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He tells us to do well to pay attention. I think each one of us in this life has had somebody in some circumstance try to get our attention. If we were in school, we might have had those teachers that were willing to say to us, you might want to mark that down because you might see it again on a test. It might be a spouse that says, would you mind putting down the paper? I'm talking to you. There are those that are trying to get our attention. It's the same that Peter is doing here. But paying attention is not enough. Our hearts must also believe the truth of the God's word and that we must be changed by it. That we must be changed by it. And Peter says that the word came and was a light into a dark place. Over and over in God's word is that same analogy used where the darkness of this world has to be penetrated by the true light of God. But in order for this to happen, sinners must acknowledge and understand that they are the ones that are in the darkness. They are separated from the knowledge of who God is. As Proverbs would say in chapter 4, verse 8, but the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. When God brings that light into our lives, he doesn't just start out and leave us with a small glow. The more that we are seeking after him, understanding and being drawn in by his word, the brighter the truth of who he is. The more that we want to take from our lives those things that are not of him and replace them with worship and honor and praise and a life do the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what Pastor Doug spoke of last week. It should show in our life the light that has come 
to us from him. It comes down to this. The blind mind and the dark heart are only changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on, helping us to understand all scripture is, is of a divine origin. Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. We could stop right there and say, this is the, the message for our text and spend all of today on that part to understand exactly how Christ, how God would reveal his word. But it is of divine origin. He even tells his readers uh, the order of importance as to, before it's even spoken how we are to understand it. He says, take this first, the origin of God's word. This is our foundation. Before we can understand and be changed by it, we have to believe that it is the word of God. That's where we must begin. But no scripture is ever from an own interpretation that's a, po a problematic uh, statement, the way that Peter said. There are those that would want to use this wrongly to say individuals can't read God's word and understand it. That is wrong. That's not part of what he is saying. It has nothing to do with what this says. He is saying that none of this comes from man himself. The prophet spoke and wrote what God had in mind and what he gave them to say. And to go on and better understand this, Peter says how the Old Testament came to be compiled in verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How did the Old Testament come about? Right here, by the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand that this time, this is all of the scripture that they had, the Old Testament. Peter explains it in two ways. First, the negative part. When he says negatively, what did not happen, it was no prophecy of the will of any man. The will of man. So if we understand the will of man, we would have to say some man decided one day, I want to write about God. If it came from his will, I want to give an explanation of what I think God might be, must be. And I can use these things that I see as evidence. But also in the will of man that contradicts that is man in his lost sin does not care about God. There would be nothing in his will that would ever try to explain who God is. But on the positive side, it says men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God was the agent 
men were used to put his word into writing. The Holy Spirit is the supreme agent and men but instruments. But this does not mean that man was just a passive used individual. We see in God's word these 66 books coming together, those books that were maybe written by the same author at different times. We see humanness. We see how their style is in them. Yes, there is an element of man in God's word, but it was God that led them. Paul would write basically the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And sometimes I think that this scripture gives us a better thought of how this came about than how Peter wrote it here. But they're one and the same. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, Peter used the, I'm sorry, Paul used the analogy that God breathed out these words. This, that from God came, from the, from maybe because of its, the breath, coming out from his body. Peter said that they were carried along. Now you think about that for Peter. Who was Peter when Jesus took him on as a disciple? He was a fisherman. Would Peter not then know that that sail that is in that boat does no good if it is not taken and pushed along and moved by some other force, which is the wind and he relates that to exactly how the word of God came about. They were, men were moved along by the power of God. R.C. Sproul would sum up this section of scripture by saying, this is the point that Peter is making, that none of the word of God came solely by human power. However, if you reject the writings of those humans, you are rejecting God himself. This is why Peter's estimate of the authority of the written word of God, which we must heed every day. There is great truth and importance in what Peter has said in the verses we have looked at today in all of his letter. But there is another important takeaway. Peter's example. He has shown us the importance of banding together with fellow believers for as long as we are in this life, the firm stand like his that many men and women have taken for the truth from then until now. We believe the true story of the glory and the power of Jesus Christ, the majestic glory God the Father himself made known that the Son of Man is the Son of God. Peter said, Know this first of all. Believe the words of the prophets are the very words of God. Men of God were carried along by the Holy Ghost, delivering the mind and will of God. All of this is a witness of the coming of Jesus Christ. 
first in humility and again in the future at his will in his full glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your bold witness, Peter. That he said that he would dedicate the rest of his life to making sure the truth of Jesus Christ is known at a time when there were those that were so willing to undermine the saving work of Christ himself on this earth. Lord, I pray that we continue as individuals, as a congregation, as your church on this earth, to have that same boldness that you would continue to equip us to better do your kingdom work. But also, Lord, I pray that we are faithful witnesses when we would hear from somebody, oh, that Bible is just words of men. Lord, give us the confidence and the boldness and the ability to use your word to show the truth. Never to be arrogant, but only to reveal that you are a loving and merciful and just God and you would call sinners unto yourself and that you have done that in our own own hearts and we are thankful for it, Lord. Continue to equip us Continue to show us your grace. Continue to allow us to be amazed by the vastness of your majesty. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.